Welcome to the MacFab Engineering Podcast. We're your hosts, Parker Dillman. And Stephen Craig. This is episode 302. And before we start the podcast, I want to thank everyone, and that means everyone, that came and donated to the charity stream that I did this past weekend, um, that donated and actually or stopped by to watch the live stream. Um, we were able to raise over $5,000 for Texas Children's Hospitals, um, and we beat the video game, which was Ocarina of Time Legend of Zelda. Um, we beat it in 20-ish hours, minus making a pizza somewhere in there. Um, it was a lot of fun because like, we even had like a mini podcast like during it. Steven showed up around the six to seven hour mark. And we start talking about electronics while I'm trying to beat beat the forest temple. I, I had I had some design work to do that day, and I really didn't have much going on. So I probably stuck around, you know, throughout the day, I jumped on multiple times into the stream. I was probably there for a good four or five hours throughout the whole yeah. thing. So, yeah. Yeah. We, uh, we uh, <laughs> there was a lot of nerd talking. Oh, yeah. Might have led to my first death was talking about electronics and dying. <laughs> It was super so, fun. So look forward to next year. We're definitely going to do it again next year. Um, we haven't, we started talking about what kind of game and that kind of stuff, but nothing concrete yet. So probably on August, 2022 is when we'll start talking about it again. Um, even though Steve and I have started talking about doing dual video game streams for um, also charity, nothing concrete yet. We're still trying to figure stuff out. Just having fun. Just having fun. So, speaking of having fun, USB Type C connectors. We haven't we haven't talked about C in a while. Speaking of that, though, uh, USB connectors. Um, I broke the USB B connector on my 3D printer. Uh oh! How wait? Yeah. How'd, you, how'd you break that? So I was installing a new magnetic um, build plate into it, and uh, I leaned it over on its back because I have so. It's a it's a uh, D six printer, um, and so the USB ports on the back. Well, I've upgraded this printer with a uh, Raspberry Pi, so that it can be basically I run OctoPi or is it yeah OctoPi, which is like the um, print server three D printer server that you can run on a Raspberry Pi, and you basically hook it directly to the USB port on your printer, and it's sits there and does all the work for you. Um, so I forgot that the USB port just sticks out the back and I leaned it over on its back mm. and it bent the bent the connector and basically just jacked it up. Um, <laughs> and unfortunately, when I removed the connector, it also uh, ripped the lugs out. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Are you going to just wire it back in? Just blue I wire? can. I am going to... Um, what I'm going to try to do is because I I, got, I was ma I managed to get the uh, actual signal holes cleaned out, so I'm going to put a new connector in and then I'm just going to epoxy it down with some two part epoxy, and if that works, it should work. I there's no reason why it won't. Um, then it'll be good. If not, then I'll just like wire it in with a wire that's like solder onto the board. But yeah, uh, Death Deathcon one two three four five in Twitch chat says, "Wow, breaking a Type C connector is an achievement." Type B um, connector. Yeah, type they, they, B. Because they're big and beefy. Yeah, and it didn't actually break the connector housing. It broke the insert inside of it. 
that separates all the terminals. Oh, really? That little yeah, like stem it, that comes out. The, the stem. Middle? It actually sheared the stem. Oh, wow. the a- housing was completely fine. Hmm. Yeah, kind of weird. I I, I miss Type B connectors. Uh, like they, they exist. To, well, they they still they exist, but like when you think Type B, you think printer. Right, like they're yeah, on printers. every printer out there, and I like them. They're they're bigger and beefier, and they're keyed, which is nice. Yes, yeah, yeah. Can you imagine how thick your phone would be if you had if we had a USB B connector on on your phone? Yeah, you know, I stopped using the USB. I got a Qi charger. I stopped using the USB ports on my phones like two years ago because. I'm sure I'm sure everyone has had this before. Like you put your phone in your pocket. If you don't have a case that covers the USB port, then what ends up happening is, you know, when you go to plug it into charge every night, you just jam lint down into the USB port. And every two weeks or so, you have to go in with a toothpick and pull out this big old nugget of lint out of it. Yeah, it's, it's just the like, belly button of your phone. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, I feel like USB doesn't, have as many of those problems it's bigger and things just fall out (laughs) could be (laughs) but i don't think we've ever had a usb b device that would go in your pocket no no it's way too big of a connector usb b is probably thicker than the entirety of a cell phone oh yeah like it's about 2x of my pixel 2 right right so Feels um, nice though. It has a really positive like chunk click when you put it in. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's why we put it on the the Pinhack and Pentatars as well. Yeah. Um, if you got space, I don't see why you wouldn't use it. It makes you feel good when you when you plug it in. You're like <laughs> I know I'm plugged in. No, you're plugged <laughs> in. Yeah. So I got to fix that. Um, but back to this this new connector I found. It is Molex. 217175-0001 and it is a very interesting type C connector because it is only for power delivery. Oh. Did wait it, it only has have, those pins? It only has VBus ground and the uh, CC pins. It does not have any data pins. Oh, oh yeah. Okay, so so I, I you posted this somewhere. No, no. Okay, so this was on our show notes for last week. I remember yes. pulling this up, but I but we didn't talk about it last week. We pushed it to this week, and and I remember looking at this data sheet and saying this is weird because this is USB Type C, and I count one, two, three, four, five, six pins. I'm like, that's not USB C. Something's weird no. here. So it uses it has uh the CC one and two pins, yeah, um, which. So I started trying to look. I'm like, CC has to stand for something. Uh, what is it? I can't find it. <laughs> you don't. I was like, you still don't know. I don't know, but it has to stand for something. All like, right, let me let me look. Um, because V bus is voltage bus, right? G and D is ground. Um, but what does CC stand for? Uh, I I'm I would not be surprised if our Twitch chat is like, come on, it's this. You guys should know this. <laughs> <laughs> so so the, uh, this particular connector just provides power and ground, right? And CC pins. And CC pins. So then you can do power delivery over this connector because you n- require the CC pins to do your low voltage signaling right. to your device. Um, it, that's that's the CC pins is how 
your device and your in the supply communicate to let each other know, hey, I can accept 20 volts at five amps. And the power supply goes, good luck on that and turns <laughs> yeah, it on. Have fun. <laughs> <laughs> but OK, so this is still reversible, though. Yes, yeah, still reversible. Okay, so so it's just US, not just I mean, it's USB and that it's USB type C power delivery only. Yeah. which I thought was really interesting and really cool because there's a lot of applications um, that would be really cool. Ah, Awesome Blossom 12 in our Twitch chat says it's for CC stands for cable connection, which makes sense because it's it's it does the low voltage signaling and allows the uh, the uh, physical layer to know how the cable is oriented in the plug. Well, but okay, so Fabio just Fabio firmware in in the chat posted to Wikipedia and says configuration channel, which also makes sense too. <laughs> <laughs> Both of those make sense. I like it. Yeah. Uh, huh. Yeah, because don't you put a resistor to ground on those? For uh, only on one of them is it no right. or two of them on two of them. And yeah, you have to do CC1 and CC2. That was the problem with the Raspberry Pi a long time ago. Um, oh, the Raspberry Pi 4 when they first released it? Yeah, they only had one pulled. Mm. Um, you got that both pulled. Um, that's if you're doing only like the base level, like five volts at like 100 milliamps. Yeah, that sounds right. Or is it five volts at half an amp? Something like that. I think it's <laughs> half an amp. Um, but yeah, but that's the, like, that's like the easy, that's like, basically that's how you get USB 2.0 only, and you want some power delivery. That's how you do it. Whereas if you go with the full USB 3.0 power delivery stack, um, you actually use those lines to communicate to it and the chips out there do all that for you. Yeah. They have all the handshaking and the requests and all that stuff, right? Exactly. Yeah. There's several different manufacturers that make those parts now but yeah this part is really cool um i like how it's like the the uh leads come out to the back so you can easily inspect them and everything about it is just like like the and, and the leads through are like big and chunky like this thing this connector will take some abuse yeah uh well unless parker tips the uh the product over right oh yeah put Lay 40 pounds of 3D printer on top of it. <laughs> no, I'd, uh, it has four big, chunky uh, uh, mechanical pins on it. That's nice. Well, again, that wasn't the problem with the USB Types B either. It, it was the center I stud, sh- right? I sheared the center stud. And the connector itself, like the cable was like all bent out of shape too. <laughs> so, But That's yeah, uh, if, if you're in Twitch chat right now, you can see the 3D printer behind me with its guts, with its guts hanging out of it. Uh, USB type C normally has 20 pins or is it 10? 24. 24? Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Because you also have because you also have like there's also type C connectors. It has it it technically has 12 because it's just reversible. Yes. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, The um. Oh, there, there's some uh, USB Type C connectors that are just uh for USB 2.0, so it does, they don't have the uh, super speed lines 
at all. Um, I, I've been using those a lot too. Um, but this is the first time I've seen one that's just like, this is just a power delivery one and it supports the 3.0 power delivery spec. Okay, so if it's pow- just power delivery, does it have some kind of indicator that it is just power delivery? Like, is the center stud a different color, kind of like USB port? Probably not. Ah, uh, that sucks. I, it's kind of nice when, when it's indicated in that sense. It's, I've actually purchased a cable one time that was just power delivery. It didn't have the, the data lines in it. Uh, and hmm. it didn't, and it was not indicated that way. So you can understand that leads to some confusion. Oh yeah. I've got a cable right, right here. That's a USB micro. That is the same thing. This is yep. just a power, just cable. power, just power. Yeah. yeah. But like, it, where does it say that on the cable? Nowhere. Exactly. Hell, it even has the USB, you know, icon printed on it. Yeah. Yeah. And then you sit there scratching your head. You're like, oh my God, is my device broken? Uh, yeah. Oh, well, but, I use uh, but, it to charge my headset. Cool. So, so uh, out of curious, uh, curiosity, you are, you, you found this part. What are you, what are you going to use it for? Or do you, how oh, I'm not, I'm not using it for anything. Oh, you just found it and it's cool. I, love I just that. thought it was really cool. Yeah. Um, I'm hoping to help someone else out, you know, us bring this connector out to light because it's a really cool connector. Um, I just don't have any projects that are using USB Type C. If I was using USB Type C, I didn't need, and I was just using it for power. Boom, done. Use that. If I was if certainly, if I was doing some kind of uh, like hobbyist level thing right now that had some kind of battery bank and I needed to charge it, I would use this in a heartbeat. Yeah, this is super cool. So I got a I got a cool part to talk about myself. Another cool part. Uh, this is just the cool part podcast. We're actually changing our name, everyone. If you didn't know, no. Okay, <laughs> actually, no. This could be a tasty chip right here. I didn't even think about it. Uh, this is totally a tasty chip because it's got some really unique uh, attributes about it. So the 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 chip that I want to I want to show off is the ICL seven six six zero CBAZA, uh, which. Literally, the data sheet, it's a, it's a Renesas chip. They call Uh-oh. it a super voltage controller or Uh-oh. converter. What's up? That was the one of the factories that like burned down last year. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I actually, I don't, I don't think this is a unique part. I think you can find substitutes for it. Ah, uh, I, so, I immediately looked it up and everyone's out of stock on this part. <laughs> oh, really? I, you know, I didn't, I didn't even look it up um, to, uh, to see stock of it. Yeah, honestly, I don't even look up parts anymore. I just assume, just assume they're out of stock. Out of stock. Yeah. Like I, but regardless, <laughs> so I found this, I found this IC. I should, I shouldn't say I found this. I've known about this IC for a long time, but I didn't know about all the attributes about this IC because I've, I've even used it before in some stuff basically. Okay. So it's a super voltage controller. Basically it's a charge pump. That is a switch controller that allows you to, make negative voltages from positive voltages. So you can put in five volts and it will just crap out negative five volts at some level, at some current. Um, and it's really, really simple to use. It basically uses two capacitors, one as a, um, as a charge pump capacitor and then one as just like a reservoir capacitor. Nothing particularly special there. It was very much intended to be a very simple to use IC. And because of that, a lot of people in the DIY community, but specifically the DIY guitar pedal community, use it uh, to be able to produce negative voltages 
And uh, it's nice because almost all guitar pedals are powered either off of a nine volt battery or a nine volt power supply that comes right off the wall. So uh, you, you, as a designer, you can expect to only get positive voltages if you don't want to run all of your analog stuff in a single uh, supply mode then slap one of these in there and then you can have plus minus nine volts for your circuit and that's a huge amount of headroom uh, yeah you doubled your headroom doubled your headroom but uh you don't have all the negatives with that so from the outside looking in this is a voltage rail inverter is what it is effectively yeah but it but the way it does that is through a switch cap uh charging configuration which effectively means that there's some kind of oscillator inside that's going to charge caps and then flip it and give you negative voltage right which hey great but the first thing that comes to my mind anytime anyone designs in switching into a product is like oh fcc like you're gonna get noise yeah right right well yeah first of all you're gonna potentially crap stuff out into the uh into the environment you're gonna get noise pollution but if you ever want to make a product with this um, get ready, you're going to have to get it approved because of that. Now, here's the thing that's interesting. By default, this little switcher guy actually switches at 10 kilohertz, um, which it's 10 kilohertz... Fast. No, no, it's it's actually kind of funny because it's it's in the audio range. But for guitar guys, almost every guitar speaker out there can't produce anything above 5 kilohertz anyway. So you could totally impede upon the audio range with these kind of products because you're so far beyond what the speaker is going to even be able to do. Right. So, um, by default, this, this chip oscillates at 10 kilohertz, which FCC, um, the, uh, the, what is it? Part 15, uh, of the EMC code, uh, states that if, if you oscillate at anything, if you intentionally oscillate at anything above nine kilohertz must be tested. Right. Well, I, I was reading the data sheet on this little, um, chip the other day i'd never even thought about this i was like wait can you adjust the frequency of switching on this and it has an oscillator pin that you can load down which is interesting you can load it down with a capacitor you're not you don't load it down with a resistor you load it down with varying amounts of capacitance and you can drop the frequency on it and then there's also some some unique ways to raise it but since you're already close to that nine kilohertz threshold of FCC and if you don't really care about going slower on it which is interesting because this this IC I'm not entirely sure the how the innards work but it actually gets more efficient when you go slower on this one so um Hmm. By by load loading it down with just a few peak of varids you can drop that 10 kilohertz to just under 9 and uh, and then you can skip FCC so if you are a pedal designer that's something to keep in mind First of all, I think most pedal designers uh, that are like small shops are not really thinking about FCC. They probably should be, uh, but they're slapping all kinds of random stuff in there and processors and stuff, and like giving all kinds of cool functions and then not realizing that. This is a really cool IC that makes designing a lot easier because you don't have to create voltage or half rails and then do uh, uh, split supply stuff. You can do unipolar or sorry, bipolar supplies. Um, and just load it down. I think it's only 10 picofarads will get the oscillation frequency. If you're running the chip at 9 volts, it'll get the oscillation frequency under 9K. I guess really the only downside of this is, like Parker said earlier, it's out of stock everywhere, and it's not particularly cheap. Like I saw it 
I just looked in in it's singles. Not too bad. It's like it's like a buck. It's a dollar. Yeah. Well, in in quantity, uh, it's about a dollar, right? It's yeah. not That's terrible, not but it's not great. If your product is a hundred dollars, and you're trying to and you put a dollar part in there, that's fairly significant. Yeah. So cool little part that allows you to get some really unique stuff without having to go through FCC. Yeah, Mauser's got a hundred and seventy of them in stock, which isn't too bad. Oh no, 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 that's not terrible. And it looks like they got some on order that will show up early next year. There so is another like... flavor of it as well. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if that is cool ranch other. flavored. Yeah, <laughs> nacho. Yeah, nacho. This is the nacho cheese flavored one. Yeah. Yeah, Newark has uh, 300 something of them. And and Intersil also makes them. If, if you're willing to go to Quest Electronics, they have almost 1400. <laughs> So. Quest. Oh, I forgot about Quest Electronics. But 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 Quest is is charging uh a buck sixty in quantity of ten thousand. So Yeah. Yeah. Quest typically does that though. Yep. Um Yeah, the, the gray the gray market guys right now are kind of skewering people. Yeah. I bet you Quest is doing really well right now. <laughs> West and uh, who are those other guys? Um, guys, a Component wind source. Outlet. Yeah. Oh yeah, Component Outlet. Yep, yep, yep. Rochester. I know. I know what we're talking about. Also, they are authorized dealers of some manufacturers too, but a lot of times they deal with third party. So, oh, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. I bought stuff from there before. Yeah, at this point, like people are looking everywhere. The gray market's yeah. looking less gray <laughs> right now. Yeah, it's looking more like you know Jesus coming down from the heavens. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, there's a there's a there's a handful of those guys that um, you know previously kind of uh, raised an eyebrow to, and now it's like, hey, how many of those STM chips do you have? Yeah, yeah. bring them my way. <laughs> bring them my way. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I was lucky on Pinotar. We like I jumped on the MCU train really early. Yeah, you got real so, lucky. So I've got like a year's and a half worth of supply, which is good. Yeah. And it looks like actually uh, Microchip is ramping up their SAMD production. Because um, I actually placed another order for like another thousand, and it's going to show up in like end of November uh, of this year, not next year. <laughs> So in like three weeks, I'll have another thousand. That's like an extra buffer just in case like stuff gets really bad. But it looks like stuff is starting to improve slowly. Now it seems like connectors are like on the on the on the supply chain issue list now. Really? Yeah. Well, you've had you've had connector woes for a bit. Mainly oh, because yeah. you bought everything in the world for Oh <laughs> yeah, those, those those the actual JST connectors I was using. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I had, I, I, had to find I, like three different alternates for that part. <laughs> oh, that sucks. Yeah. I, I was watching a uh, a Dave Jones video just the other day and um it it hit real close to home. Uh he was going on to uh, the major players, Digikey, Mauser, those kind of guys, and and just searching like, what's the most expensive D to A converter right now? And just looking at that, and uh, or like, how much if I wanted to, if I had an unlimited budget and I wanted to buy the most expensive FPGA, 
you know, there was there's like an FPGA that you know DigiKey had one of, and it was like twenty four thousand dollars or something like yeah. that. But he he looked at what's the most expensive microcontroller. Take a guess at what family the most expensive microcontroller is right now, according to his video. Take thirty two. At tiny. Really? There was an AT Tiny that was like I don't remember how much. It was like seven hundred or something like that dollars for one of them. <laughs> it was an obsolete part. I I, I honestly I just I, I was doing board layout and I just heard him say that and I was like, wait, that's funny. So I don't remember all the details behind it. Uh, yeah, an AT right, Tiny right. was just blowing everything else out of the water. Huh. So yeah. I and it's you know, it's all of course due to scarcity. Oh, really? Hmm. I found that DigiKey and Mauser haven't really been increasing their prices um, for their parts. Well, then maybe that's the the most amazing AT Tiny the world has ever seen. I, I, it could be. It's like those FPGAs on like DigiKey and Mauser that they have one of that's like twenty four thousand dollars. Usually, <laughs> those are really old parts. Yeah, they're really old parts, and and it, it probably went inside of some kind of like tank that the Americans designed and so like and and you have to replace it with that you know and um but back when they had like lots of them they're like two hundred dollars a piece oh, and then sure. yeah. so a lot of those a lot of distributors when they when their stock goes low they it, the price automatically scales up so like you know scarcity price goes up mm-hmm. and so that could be like the last one and so it's at the very end of their formula basically that's like a hockey stick <laughs> yeah um Speaking of that, though, there was a very interesting uh, article that came out about um, about military supply chain. I don't know totally about this. Uh, I just saw the headline and read a little bit about it. But the Pentagon is having to buy like two billion dollars worth of inventory because the company that supply that built all their chips sold the line. (laughs) <laughs> to some other company, and that company is discontinuing all these parts. No. Yeah. So, like, parts that go into, like, a B-2 bomber are going to be discontinued next year. Oh. And so, the Pentagon that, that, is, like... That's how you get $24,000 processors. Yeah. So, the Pentagon is, like, putting in, like, a $2 billion rush order. So, like, I think it's Global Foundry, I think, is the company. Okay. Um. So yeah. It's, uh... I, th- I might have to dig that up. I thought that was very interesting. You brought up like $24,000 microprocessor for a tank. And uh, I'm like, yeah, that's how that happens. Is, uh, that's the problem with a lot of those kind of products is you don't have an alternate list because you can't. Or it's very expensive to have an alternate list because you have so much testing involved. Like with pinball controllers, it's like, Oh yeah, that that oscillator it all puts the same frequency with slightly different loading capac- uh characteristics. Eh, it'll be fine. Should be yeah, fine. like validating military applications is incredibly strenuous. So once you find the thing, that's your thing. That's your thing. Yeah. Um. Whereas, like, I've like I think for almost every single part on the Pentatar, I have a part alt. <laughs> Oh, yeah. That, okay. Um, this is a Bloomberg right here. Uh, Pentagon swoops in to buy last of kind chip for B2 destroyer. Yeah. That's just for that. <laughs> I think it's for a lot of different products, too, but that just might be the headline. Oh, that's great. 
Yeah, global global foundry is is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Well, yeah, I thought that was very interesting. I think I read think, that this morning. You would think with that kind of oh, investment that they give, I'm calling it investment, the Global Foundry would be like, well, yeah, we'll keep the line alive for you. Like, well, it's not Global Foundry. It's whoever the new owner is. So did Global Foundry get bought out entirely? No, they sold the line that made those chips. Just the line. Got it. Yeah. But you would think the with $2 billion, you can like make your own line and then buy the buy the masks from Global Foundry. And then, like, just make your own chips. But what we're, we're talking about, it's the military and politics. Whoever said those were efficient. <laughs> yeah. They're, those are totally not a bottomless pit of cash. I wish engineering got a bottomless pit of cash. That'd be awesome. Oh, no, no. That's why we're on this podcast talking about, like, $1 chips matter. Right? <laughs> <laughs> you're right. You're right. You're right. Hmm. Yeah. If I go with this resistor, I can cut off three cents off the total bomb. Exactly. What, exactly. We're trained to wrong? do that. What could go wrong? <laughs> <laughs> That's actually the bad thing is um, uh, microchip is. So we're using SAMD 21s on our, our uh, Pentar. And we were using the. Uh, well, I would call the Arduino compatible chip, which is like the 18 series of that. Um, well, when the first big wave of MCU shortages happened, you know, earlier this year around springtime, though anything that was Arduino compatible was that was the first things that went up, that that dried up. So many products are developed with that hardware nowadays that mm-hmm. that all that stock went up. So what we did is we went oh. There's a pin compatible that's got like half the RAM. It's a 17 series and it has all the same peripherals. And so all we have to do is just change the header file and then we compiled it, made sure it would work with half the RAM and it worked perfectly fine. So we started using 17s. Well, guess what chips that microchip are making? They're not making the 17s. They're making the 18s. because That's what everyone wants. Mm-hmm. So now we're back on the 18s. <laughs> but the good thing is we can just switch in between. We don't have to really worry about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, when 17s are available, they're about a buck cheaper in quantity. So we can go with 17s when they're around. Um, but when they're not, we can just use the 18s and they'll just spend a buck more, which kind of sucks. But, you know, it's better, to, it's better to build the product and not to build the product, right? Oh, 100%. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm on Mauser right now and the 328Ps, you know, uh, 106,000 on order, 76,000 on order, 92,000 on order. Like, what's the lead time? Oh, uh, well, for the for the just the P dip version, the through hole version, uh, you can expect um, 726.22. So, ooh, a little ooh. less than a year out there. Let's see what here for for the QFN. Uh, yeah, oh, no, QF- QFP, QFPs. Yeah, QFPs. I think it's the oh, AU. Um, a full. Yeah, the AU is um, legitimately a full year out from today. Ouch. Yep. <laughs> uh, no, okay, so there is, I'm sorry, there's another, oh, sorry, that's the leaded version. <laughs> it's a year out. <laughs> oh. The uh, the non-leaded version is a few months out. Oh, God, um, it's not too bad. Six months. Well, no, that's eight, eight months. Okay, never mind, that's bad. <laughs> yeah, that's, 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 it's not great. If it's early next year, that's not too bad. Um, no, t- but, like almost everything is summer of next year. 
Yeah. And but the thing is, if you go to Microchip's website, you can actually buy direct from them and they have slightly better lead times. Yeah. That's how I'm getting my next batch of chips I, I, at the I, end I, of November. I, I bet you the Macrofab purchasing team has to quote that out pretty regularly. <laughs> yeah. The, the how long your quotes last is definitely a lot shorter right now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, how long they're valid for? Yeah. Yeah. They're valid like for days. couple hours. <laughs> a couple hours. <laughs> uh, I mean, they should. It's not be, really the price. In reality, it's, it's, a couple hours is. is yeah. It's, re- it's not the price, though. It's lead time. Lead times mm-hmm. are just. Parts just get dried up. Oh, yeah. Instantaneously. I would, I would highly recommend if you're only building a couple thousand of something and you have the capital cash just lying around, buy your parts. Mm-hmm. Just buy them. It, you, if you know you're going to use them, buy them. You know, you know it's funny. We were talking with uh, Mercury Inc. Uh, yeah. with uh, Chris Carter a while ago, and Chris was like, "Just buy all your parts." And I was laughing at that because it was just like, "You, you don't, you can't uh, typically afford to do that." But yeah, typically you can't. But in reality, like right now, like the world is just like, yes, if you can get your parts, get them, get them. Hopefully, that changes about summer next year. That's where. I'm seeing the trend going is spring. It's going to be better. Um, and then summer is when it's going to be kind of back to normal. We might see like spurts of stuff being out of stock, but it's not going to be like this widespread where like you go on like DigiKey and click in stock microcontrollers and it says like four. <laughs> hey, so, so you think right now we're kind of at the bottom of the bathtub? Uh, we were in the bottom of the bathtub about two months ago, I think. We're starting to come out of the bathtub. Yeah, I, I I think I agree with that. I'm I'm seeing that a little bit too. Uh, and like I wouldn't say by any means that we're like, yeah, we're we're coming out, but it's not looking good still. Like, it's still not looking good at all. No, yeah, no, it's yeah, awful. Like, but it's like, not but as I, bad like as it was. Some a month stuff ago. we can buy. A month ago was the worst. Yeah, um, uh, honestly, the, the majority of this year was the worst. That's true. Yeah. It's funny thinking about it is the 2018 ceramic capacitor like craze. We thought that was bad. Oh, that was nothing. That was nothing compared to this, though. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. So your caps, you have to buy some more reels of caps. Yeah. Yeah. But it wasn't that big of a deal because like because you would just find an alternative capacitor that would work and it was still only like 70 bucks for like 10,000 of them. So it wasn't too big of a deal to pre-buy, but now you're having to buy reels of microcontrollers and it's a couple thousand bucks easy. Oh yeah. Yeah. Not cheap though. Yeah. All right. So next topic. Um, SMT bench equipment for soldering. So I'm kind of going, I think we're going to start talking about SMT equipment next couple of podcasts. Cool. Um, but this one, we're going to talk about just like soldering. Okay. Like, I said SMT as well. That's also through hole, I guess, as well. Um, so, like, what spurred this whole idea is my workhorse, my Xtronic 440, uh, 440, died. Oh, no. It finally died. That thing was nine years old. Finally <laughs> yeah, died. It's it, it seen some stuff. It's seen a lot of stuff. It, my favorite thing was we eventually... Uh, it became the leaded machine at at the fab too. Like, remember we like uh, paint markered P 
PB on it at one point. <laughs> yeah. And so it was yeah. like, that was the only soldering station that you could do lead. Right. And it was like in the engineering area. Um, and then I brought it back home and used it for like another th- four years almost uh, before it finally died. And guess how it died? Uh, did you crack it or something? No, or? I, I left it on for like who knows how long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those, came, be careful with those cheapo ones. They don't have auto off. Uh, well, this one I disabled the auto off. <laughs> <laughs> Be careful giving your products to Parker. He might disable features. Disable them. <laughs> um, yeah, because we 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 disabled that thing like day one when we had that machine. I the one I have does not have auto off. It just okay. it just cranks. This one this one has an auto off for the uh, for the uh, hot air. So oh, but um, it doesn't have hot off hot, uh, auto off for the iron. Well, the iron still works on it. By the way. Oh, it was well, the, the hot air with? stopped. Okay. Well. well, I so I've already switched over to using. I actually took off the iron part and started using basically my thermaltronics soldering station for actually soldering. Mm. And so I was just using this hot air. So the hot air died, which means I left the hot air gun on in the side room of my garage for who knows how long. Mm. Um, basically, I got over to it and I'm like, "Huh, the switch is on, but the display's off. It's roasted." Well, I think it just blew a fuse or something anyways it's in the trash can now um and uh so we're going to start talking about smt equipment because i'm starting to look at buying new equipment and uh that'd be fun to talk about um so for soldering irons um there's a lot of people out there that have lots of different opinions i think we should just talk about like what we use and why we use it because we've used different brands over the years um have a lot of different experience with different uh, equipments. And so just talking about like what we use and why mm, okay. um, yeah. is a good way to go through this. And maybe it will give someone some, uh, instead of like going blindly, going like on like Reddit and being like, what should I should buy? And everyone's like, buy the Hako. And I'm like, there's <laughs> a lot of other products out there that are just as good as a Hako or equivalents or better. Um, so soldering iron. So I, I use a what's called a brand called Thermaltronic. Um, it is like a Metcal. Um, so it uses curry heat to heat up. So it doesn't have a resistive element in the in the tips. It actually like beams microwave or high frequency into the tip. So it's kind of cool way how it works. Um, and the great thing about them is they heat up instantly. Like. A Hako might take like three or four seconds to heat up. This thing is pretty much instant when it turns on. Um, and it's also, it doesn't have any thermal loading. Like when you put like a, uh, when you try and do a big thermal pour or uh, soldering a big component, it doesn't have a thermal, like it doesn't sink in, in heat. It can continually pump out that heat through that, um, uh, through that tip. Um, but prior to this, I had the Xtronic, which is basically on the soldering station side is a Hako clone. Totally fine. Um, the iron part of that unit still works. Um, see, before that, I had a Weller. The WES, the WES, nah, excuse me, WES 51, which is like the 
base model station you can buy from Weller. They make a WES 51D, which is like the digital readouts. Um, I don't have that. I didn't have that one though. Actually, I still have that station, by the way. That was my first soldering station I ever bought. That was that thing's like 18 years old now. It's that's the one I use in my garage now. So that that iron still works. I'd, I'd recommend that station, the Weller uh, WES 51. And then uh, before that, I had a Radio Shack plug-in iron. I think everyone starts off with one of those. I think, it, <clears throat> excuse me, everyone starts off with one, and nobody should start off with that. Yeah, no one should start off with that thing. They're terrible. If anything, one of the plug-in wellers is going to be such a much better iron and experienced soldering. Now, I would, I would recommend um, spending at least a hundred bucks on an iron. Yeah, yeah, um, I think I think a hundred gets you in a in a good range. Like, okay, so the the pencil type, the thirty watts from Radio Shack, they're ten bucks, ten fifteen bucks is 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 what you get, and those seem really uh, attractive at first, just because of the price when you you're getting started. But uh, I think they introduce a ton of problems, and and you'll get discouraged really quickly. So I agree with Parker, like. Start off, buy yourself a decent um, decent soldering iron, especially if you're, you're into the DIY thing or you're into starting to learn how to solder and things. You want to have tools that'll actually, you don't have to fight the tool in order to uh, accomplish something because you're not going to know what to do first. You want to put yourself in the best situation to get uh, the end result correct. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I started out with a, uh, with a, um, ra- a Radio Shack pencil type and um i i moved away from it as quickly as i could and got just it was a weller knockoff and i used that for i don't know maybe four or five years was it eventually station or pencil style it's a pencil style but yeah. uh it, yeah it's a pencil style but it had the whole like base that would turn it on and off um, oh okay it, so even fancier than because i had the weller pencil that was just it basically just an upgraded version of the radio shack thing and i used that for a long time before i got the wes 51 yeah yeah and so here's here's actually an interesting question well okay before i get into that um so now i use (laughs) actually i just went over and 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 looked at on my bench over there it's called a mark ethan 852 d plus which for (laughs) forget the 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 words mark ethan like that the 852 D plus. If you go to Google and type that in, you'll see the iron or the whole station. It's a, it's a soldering iron and a, and a hot air gun. And, um, it is, it has lasted me a long time. I think I paid $85 for it and it is great for hobby level and, and in the basement work. I've fixed countless things with that and soldered my own projects with it. I keep it as my leaded, um, tip. Now at work, we use Metcal's which Ooh, are so you all awesome. actually use metcals yeah we use metcals um i think i have the mx 500 s which okay you know if you if you have the money that's about 550 dollars but yeah it is a spectacular iron yeah the at, at macrofab we use hakos mm-hmm. we used to use thermaltronics that's actually where my thermaltronic came from which was basically we were scrapping them because uh everyone it seems that everyone in the cm world Especially like bench technicians, they use Hakos. Oh, that's yeah. what they know. 
And so they want Hakos. So like when we were refreshing all our equipment, everyone's like, we want Hakos now. And I'm like, I'll be grungily like, okay, that's what you'll want. The Thermotronics are a better, fundamentally better iron, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, but so buying- Thermotronic is, it's interesting. The history is basically Met- a Thermotronic is the ex-engineers from Metcal. Yeah. Made Thermotronic. So they're the same. They're just, and they honestly almost look exactly the same. Like the tombstone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're pretty much the same unit. Okay. They work so the same way. Here's a question for you. Well, and Thermaltronics is is Metcal half the cost. Uh, yes. Basically. So okay, here's a here's a question for you. Uh, and this is this is more about like so somebody's trying to buy their first iron. Should they have temperature control or should they not? Or should they should they include that in their like, which one should I buy? Oh, um, I'm the bet worst person for that because when I buy a temperature control one, I just max out the temperature. I was about to say, I have set the temperature on mine um, and I haven't ever changed it. Yeah. Because now, it's more about the skill with your hand than it is about getting the exact right temperature. Yeah. The reason why you have temperature control is for process control in like a CM. That's what it's for. So you can set it to the right temperature and so you know you're not going to be burning the substrate and that and or melting connectors uh, through the the pins that you're or through hole pins that kind of stuff. When you're doing a hobbyist level, though, you don't care about that. Um, and so, I don't think it matters. Yeah, I th- I think I'm going to be on the same boat as you. I don't I don't think it matters so much. So let's say let's say you you found two different. Uh, stations one of them has like a digital display and a, and a and a encoder so you can set things and it has like user login or whatnot and then this other one is cheaper and it has none of that go for the cheaper one yeah if if you're going for a resistive type which is like a hako get something that actually is compl- is compatible with hako tips which most of them are like the Xtronics. um there's several other like i i i o which is a o u no, A, was it A-O-U-Y, whatever, mm. I-O or something like that. It's the same thing under the hood. But they all use Hako compatible tips. And so you can buy good. That, that's actually the other part of the equation is how good are the soldering tips. And that's honestly the worst thing about those solder, the, the Radio Shack pencils, irons, is the tips are awful. Oh, they are so terrible they get hot spots and then they get corroded spots and then especially if you have a big chisel or a bat tip on them it never is hot where you where you want it to be so you have to like get good at like angling the iron into into place they're terrible for that yeah so it really it's all in tips really though um and on that like if you go like the metcal thermaltronic route the tips i recommend are because the best thing actually with thermaltronic tips is they're also compatible with metcal and metcal tips are compatible with thermaltronic you just have to make sure you have the right handle because there's different handles for metcals and thermaltronics there's like an s a p and a t or something like that yep so you just gotta make sure you have the right handle for the right tip and but they have catalogs just look at the catalog um but i i have an s series um handle and so i use an s75 lr 010 18A and an S75DS045. One of those is a big 
chisel tip. It's like the biggest chisel tip you can get with an S series. And the other one is a narrow, uh, well, I call it sniper chisel. <laughs> because it's not it's not a conical that has a tip. I don't it's like actually a flat. Ones. It's almost like a, a really skinny flat blade screwdriver. Yeah. It is awesome, though. Like doing like uh, QFNs and QFPs because you can get like two or three pins at a time on it. Mm-hmm. And you can eat, and you can angle it just a tad and then drag and you kind of just swipe it. Yeah. Swipe it away. Oh, such oh, a great yeah. t- that tip is yeah, awesome. That's good. That's good. Um, so majority of my soldering, I used the big chisel because just having that all that thermal mass, you can actually you can actually in the if you start practicing with the chisel tip, just try using it like for everything because you can just turn it to the point and now you can do like O two O ones. Steven thinks I'm crazy for doing it, but he like, is it works great. It works great. <laughs> he is great. I, so I use I use a really fine hook tip for ninety percent of my work. Yeah, because uh, I can get that hook into QFNs um, or QFPs and just just swipe their legs yeah. one at a time. And I'm like, that is, oof, that is nice. And then if there's something big, like a potentiometer leg or some mechanical thing, I have a, I have a, um, uh, a wedge, a giant wedge tip that is also angled. So I have a really, like, really thin hook and then an angled wedge. And both of those together yeah. does, like, all the work I ever needed. Yeah. So it's, it's really interesting that we both have completely, because we're both also not, classically i say classically in quotes classically, classically tra- trained in soldering <laughs> do, you hear, do you hear like the strings in the background <laughs> <laughs> well we never took classes like you can yeah, go get yeah. ipc certified for soldering and all that stuff we are not that right. so we learned we learned from with a with a we start it's interesting we started in the same spot we started with a radio shack iron and branched out in two different philosophies of how to solder <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's that's true. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I try to be really The moment you saw the precise. chisel tip, yeah. you were like, what the hell are you doing? And I'm like, oh. watch this. And I like soldered like a 0.4 millimeter pick 32 with it. And you're like, what? <laughs> yeah, I'm like, what? Like, just because you could do that, like, doesn't mean that it's easy, you know? No, it's or just right. Takes, it's a little bit of practice. Yeah, sure. Like, I, I'd like to be more surgical with my soldering. Yeah. And the thing is, though, I tried the... The snipe, what I would call a sniper, what you call a sniper tip, I guess, yeah. like really small conical. And I'm like, this just doesn't, this doesn't work for me. Like, I just can't get the, the technique down to make that work. Well, uh, you know, a little bit of flux, a lot of bit of heat, uh, and you yeah. go quick and you're yeah. in and out. So it's completely different styles. You know, you know, what we should do is do a, another, it won't be on the podcast, but like do a video stream of us like soldering under a microscope and have the webcam hooked up and stuff. Oh, that'd be fun. And so just like the different techniques that we like have the same board and we like one solders it and the other one solders another one. You solder. I have to desolder and then, uh, and no, then we'll solder make, somewhere else. <laughs> we we'll just have, we we'll just have two, uh, yeah, two yeah, boards. No, I, I feel um, okay. So that's a soldering iron. Next thing you need is a hot air gun. Mm-hmm. Okay. And this is not your mom's blow dryer. <laughs> no, this is um, wait a so bit. I, I, for the longest time I used the, uh, the hot air gun that was on the electronic. Um, and that finally died. And so I picked up a quick, well, Steven just deleted my, 
my uh, note there. Ah, my bad. There remember. you go. Uh, that's a quick nine five seven DW plus. And we, I think we talked about this on the podcast with Chris Gamble. Yep. Um, about like standalone hot air guns, but we'll expand more on it. And then I was, I was basically talking about, um, you want a hot air gun that doesn't have the air pump in the handle. Um, you want it to have the air pump in the base units. Right. So the, usually the cheaper units have the air pump in the handle and they're just annoying to use because they vibrate. And, um, and th- th- there's two tells. Uh, first of all, if there's air vents in the handle, that's yeah. your first tell. The second tell is if it's just a power cable going off to the to the handle that, you know, yeah. you want you want the big rubber hose going off. to. Yeah, it. the big rubber hose. And then the other tell. What I said on that podcast was if the base unit was hamburger style, that's the one you want <laughs> versus a hot dog style, which is the tall one. So you want a wide base because that usually has the air pump in it, whereas the narrow base usually just has a power supply in it and, and the knobs. Well, the quick 957DW Plus is a hot dog style chassis, but it has the air pump in the chassis itself. So it has the big rubber hose. So yeah. that blows off the hot dog hamburger style finding the chassis. But this just, thing just, is, just lay, put it on its side. Yeah, put it on its side. This thing's <laughs> awesome, though. It yeah. is so much faster at heating up than my old Xtronic. I actually left the uh, the cutoff for it, the uh, auto turnoff now, because it actually works really well. Wow. Because the moment you pick it up and then you put when you bring it up, because I, I usually have my my station above me on the on the shelf. So I, I'll pick it up. And then by the time I brought it down to the circuit board, it's already at temperature. Nice. So it can go from like 25 Celsius to 400 Celsius in like a few seconds. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now these things are awesome. Hey, uh, so, real quick, hot tips from the MacFab engineering podcast. We are getting close to Thanksgiving season. Keep the tray that you get that you cook your turkey in. If you get those big tin trays, uh, keep those and wash it out because they make super awesome um, hot air shields. So, oh yes, we used to we used to keep those after Thanksgiving and cut holes in them, and then you put capped on tape uh, and make a shield around it. So you can basically put that whole tray over your circuit board, cut a hole for just the thing you want to hot air off the board, and capped on tape around it, and you'll protect everything on your board. Yeah, the the main thing is protecting like connectors and stuff that that can't handle that heat aluminum foil works wonders too if you if you fold it over and make hot you know hot yeah you have to dams, thicken it basically. up a bit yeah yeah fold it over a handful of times and you can put 400 degrees right next to a connector and you won't melt it yeah um so i i currently recommend i don't know about longevity of this unit because i got it like a week ago but it is it is impressing me um now the funny thing about it is like the Xtronic 440 like complete package was like $90 <laughs> and this hot air gun alone is $90. <laughs> oh, wow. uh, but it is, it is really nice so far. Um, the auto, the auto shut off actually works really well um, because it actually can heat up fast enough, but it's a simple, you know, it's got two knobs, speed and temperature, and it's got a digital readout for the temperature um honestly it probably doesn't need that at all 
um, because there's a there's a number that's on the dial. So it's like, I don't know why they have a readout, but I guess it makes someone happy that they can see what the feedback number is. So. Um, now. So you can either go with extra. I, I, I still recommend Extronic, like the combo unit. They actually make an Extronic that's like a with a built in like board heater, mm. which I thought was interesting. Um, like an that's IR actually one thing, thing is. What was that? An IR bed? Yeah. Oh, that's crazy. Uh, I've been thinking about picking up an a, a infrared bed for doing rework at home. Um, I don't know if I will yet, though, because usually I can get by with just the hot air gun. But sometimes you got a little more thermal mask, especially with like multi-layer boards that. You yeah, if you're like six, eight layer boards and they have multiple planes on the inside. Yeah, it can get a little tricky. Yeah. Um, so. I guess uh, I would say this is like if, if you are just doing through hole work and then large surface mount, you can pretty much stop there in terms of soldering equipment. But if you're doing anything like 0.5 millimeter or less, like you need to get a microscope. Um, and I recommend there's a lot of microscopes that are like USB like though basically webcams that are very inexpensive, which work okay. The problem is there's lag between... The refresh rate is brutal on them. Yeah, the refresh rate's brutal. So, like, you move the board, and there's, like, a big blur, and you try to solder, and it just doesn't work too well. I recommend getting an Amscope SM series microscope. Um, This is their, like, binocular, like, big microscope that's got a heavy base. Big Um, boom. Yeah, big boom, so you can swing it out of the way. And you also have to get a Barlow lens. And I recommend like the the 0.5x Barlow lens. Basically, what that allows you to do is increase how your working distance. And so now you have like, instead of like four inches underneath your microscope, you have eight inches, so you can get an iron underneath or hot air gun, and you can see what you're doing. Um, so yeah, I recommend getting a Barlow lens for it as well. And then you need like a light ring and you're good. And I would say don't splurge for the ones that have the called trinocular, which has like a, a, a spot on the top for like a webcam. Who, who are you showing off your solder to? <laughs> so, so I would argue. Um, it, so say if you have an engineering department or if you have a quality department or something like that, buy one with the trinocular. Um, I can't tell you how many times, you know, people have given me, uh, stuff and like, hey, you know, this this product isn't working or blah, blah, blah. I will go find it, uh, the issue, throw the, the trinocular camera on, take really high-res pictures of it um, with the Barlow lens. We have a Barlow lens on, on our Amscope at work, and uh, I'll take real close uh, photos of, like, broken resistors and things like that. But in mm-hmm. terms of, like, everyday soldering and things, no, don't get the trinocular ones. It, um, get those. And if you need to write procedures or show off uh, workmanship it's worthwhile if not save the few hundred dollars that that extra costs correct um and i'll say this is if you in the future you want to take pictures of your work just get an a a secondary uh camera for that don't get it built into your microscope in my opinion because the problem is a lot of times is a lot of your quality defects, you're not going to see really well looking straight down on it. You got to look at it at an angle. 
Um, and then these big microscopes are actually kind of a pain in the ass to offset. And so um, at work, I just have a big base plate that's got a, a, uh, a yeah, exactly what Steven's holding up right now is, is a USB microscope that's got like a little clipboard on it. Um, those things are great because you can actually take pictures at multiple different angles. Um, they're high enough resolution. And, and the great thing is in the inexpensive ones like that one, you don't have to worry about the refresh rate because you're not looking through it for work. You're just trying to take a picture or something. Yeah, I would never, ever use this for actual work. I think I paid $20 for this. Yeah. And it allows me to take high-res pictures of, of issues. This is almost identical to the last to the thing on the Amscope that yes. we probably paid $200 for. Exactly. So get one of those instead, which is just a standalone USB microscope if you want to take pictures. Um, otherwise, if you're going to actually work under it, you want an all an all analog feed to your eyeballs. Yeah. So get get an Amscope SM series. There might be alternatives out there, but man, anything less than an Amscope is still not that expensive. You're talking like 500 bucks, which sounds expensive, but for like a decent binocular t- microscope, it's actually on the budget end of it. And you want it to have both focus and zoom. Uh, that's yes. that's big because when you're soldering, you need to be able to move things around and you need to be able to very quickly get back into where you're going. Um, yeah. And so if you have to, if zoom is really big, in my opinion, if you don't have active zoom control, if you have to change eyepieces to do to adjust your zoom, that's a giant pain. It um, is. So it's worth spending the money for both zoom and focus. Um, and then good set of tweezers. I mean, that some people, I mean, for the longest time I was using the tweezers that came with my Xtronic set. And, uh, I finally just bought a new set. I haven't found like a good brand yet. Cause if you go on like Amazon search, like ESD tweezers, there's like zillions of different manufacturers and, and, and brands. Cheap. Uh, and they're inexpensive. Yeah. Um, but what you want is a non-magnetic stainless steel, you can get them with the ESD coatings. I wouldn't worry about that because it's stainless steel. It's going to be grounded through you anyways. Um, it, yeah, you want non-magnetic though because if you if you have magnetic tips or they're uh, what's what's the word? Start the F. Ferric. The fer- what? See, you forgot the same word. <laughs> I forgot it as soon as he said that. Ferrous. 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 Yeah. Ferrous. <laughs> yeah, ferrous. Um, you want non-ferrous because some components have slight magnetism to them, and they will suck to your to your tips on your tweezers. And they well, sucks. also the second you get even the slightest amount of rosin flux on on those uh, tips, parts are not coming off. They <laughs> they just stick yeah. like mad. Yeah, have some have some alcohol on the bench where you can clean your tools. Oh, that's a whole section we can talk about. Is just like soldering supplies. Oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah, that's a whole different section. We're already then, an hour deep. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, for because we're just talking about equipment. So mm-hmm. and then you need a good set of snips or flush cutters. And I I think the Hakko CHP 170s are the king of of flush you know, cutters for SMT and through whole work. Like those things are awesome. I have like eight pairs at home. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're um they're not very pricey. Um, I have a they're pair of those. I also have a of pair course. of um 
have a pair of pace and they're those are nice too the the key word is flush like flush. you want them to be really flat you don't want the teeth to be angled or whatnot yeah. spend a little bit more money and what i mean by a little bit is like the difference between a three dollar pair of of snips and a 12 dollar pair of snips you'll notice the difference spend the 12 dollars yeah and uh, Engineer Bob says, I like Aven, which is A-V-E-N for tweezers. And funny enough, that's actually the set I bought like two nights ago. Oh, nice. I bought an Aven set of uh, precision tweezers in stainless steel, six piece. Um, I, I don't have, I don't know if they're good or not yet. I just, I, I don't have them yet. I think they come on Thursday. Um, oh, yeah. You don't need titanium tweezers like I, that's that's just a little goofy no just get stainless steel yeah but get high quality stainless steel so they're non-magnetic because some stainless is still magnetic and it when you when you start working in really small um uh widths spend money on your tweezers too because like the second the the uh the tines are out of alignment you, they're worthless yeah they're worthless um fabio firmware in chat says you want a crap set of flush cutters as well, so you're not tempted to use your good set to cut stuff that you shouldn't be cutting with them, which is 100%. Yeah. So, the, yeah, keep a, keep a cheaper set or just buy, you know, a chonky pair of flush cutters that are, like, a lot bigger for cutting basically steel wire and that kind of stuff. Yeah, I'm sure we've all been at that one position where you're looking around and all you can find is your cutters that have like the notch that was like <laughs> dinged out of yeah, it and you can't dinged out it. of it. So you, you have to have like skill with your cutters to cut at the right spot on the, yeah, the right spot. <laughs> the um I had I had I I actually uh um had a, had to uh I guess teach but I was more like uh like I had to tell my dad cuz my dad was using my wire snippers. I have, I have some Klein tool wire strippers and he was using the inner parts to cut like big cables. I'm like, no, you're going to ruin those edges. And he, get, he ruined them because oh. um, he, he cut it and it went, it did the like the little where they like come apart dance. Oh yeah, they slide past they, each other. They slide and I'm like, well, those are ruined. <laughs> yep, yep. Because the, the it time happens one time, that's it. That's yeah, it. Yeah. It, and, and he's like, it's still fine. I'm like, Try cutting something else that you can should cut and it just it won't cut anymore. Anyways, keep a big pair if if you if you are in your garage, just have a big pair of snips that you use for everything else. Because you want to only use these flush cutters for SMT and through hole work. So get yeah. a Hotco CHP 170 and it does not leave your next to your soldering station. Um, don't don't be tempted to cut anything else with it besides like soft stuff, but it's going to do an amazing job at cutting that that tin and brass terminals. Right. Yeah. yeah. But not steel oh. string. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not steel string or big big wires. Um, is there any other uh, SMT soldering equipment that we use like all the time? Hmm. That we could add this. I know there's like hot air, like a hot plate, or or um, I I use tweezers all the time. Hot tweezers. If you can afford it, and you know you need to be making SMT adjustments, uh, hot tweezers are amazing. Yeah, and actually the good thing with if you go the Metcal slash 
uh, Thermotronic route is you can get um, tweezers that plug into the same base. Yeah, they plug um, into I know, the, I know the two-player option. In yeah, the- I know Hakko makes those two. Um, and I've actually thought, I, I saw some Xtronics that have tweezers now too. And I think they use the Hakko tips for those yeah. tweezers. You know, um, here's one thing I would actually say uh, is not worth buying. In fact, I've never once done this, changed the tip on my hot air gun. Like I have the my one stem, but like a lot of times you'll get that pack that has different varieties of sizes yeah. or like the rectangle head and stuff like that. And people are like that's used for this particular type of, you know, component. Nope. Um, capped on tape, tinfoil and skill gets parts off skill. the boards. <laughs> yeah, no, seriously, like you No, use... you're right. I never changed that tip out. Yeah, yeah. Um Awesome Blossom asks, Do you guys have a fume extractor? At work, I do. Uh at home, I do not. Same. Here. I just I just have air on and a fan on and I don't I actually have on my I have an air filter here in my side office and uh it has an air quality meter and when you solder near it, it will go off. But if you have enough ventilation, it won't go off. Um, so that is definitely a concern. Um, if you are working in an enclosed area with really bad ventilation, I would highly recommend getting one. Um, if you have, I mean, Steven's basement is enormous. I'm soldering in a garage that I can open up windows really easily. Um, and also have a lot of fresh air and ventilation with the, uh, with my AC unit and that kind of stuff. So I don't, I don't have to worry about it either. Um, but I know not a lot, like, when I first started soldering, I was soldering in my dorm room and uh, you can't open the windows in your dorm room. And so I had a little I had a little computer fan and I put a little HEPA filter on it and that was enough to at least collect the particulates that were coming off and it didn't really smell too bad. So I was like, well, that's probably fine. Good enough. Yeah. No one complained and I never set off any fire alarms. Yeah, in terms of equipment, I think, I mean, that covers, like, uh, let's say you have $2,000, and that's understood. That's a lot of money for a lot of people to just dump into equipment. But $2,000 would get you a prime desk for work at home. Um, like oh, that, would, that You'd be able, like, that would get you a really nice iron, um, the expensive scope, and uh, and then all the accoutrement that goes with it, like I think you'd be doing really. I think well. you can do it for a thousand five hundred. Not with less. The, not with the scope. Yeah, scope's five hundred. Yeah. Yeah. And then a thermaltronic station is two thirty, and then a hundred bucks for the hot air, twenty bucks for s- cutters, and then twenty bucks for tweezers. Maybe, maybe that's a thousand bucks. Well, no, I'm saying maybe because a lot of the scopes I'm looking at are closer to like 750 range. Oh, so I actually, and also the reason I bought it, I just bought an AM scope right there. Okay, I see it. Yeah, and uh, that was 540. And it's it's actually a double boom too. So it has like, I actually don't know why I bought a double boom. I just think it looks cooler. <laughs> it's actually so the difference between like a single boom and double boom. On, on your on the amp scopes single boom is not really designed to move a lot whereas the double boom the the boom part is actually on sliders and so you can move it in and out it's a, it like it has nice smooth bearings to it yes yeah 
And so that's the main difference. You can get away. You can actually get less than 500 if you go with a single boom setup. And it's nothing wrong with a single boom. That's actually what I use at work. But at home, uh, real estate on the soldering bench is more important. So I needed a way so I can move the, the scope out at, at uh, easier. Instead of having like loosen knobs and like hold it the right way to slide it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I hate that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't yeah. you don't want to have to like loosen something, bring it into a new location, tighten it, and then focus it. Like that's really annoying. Yeah, it's really annoying. Yeah, I think for a thousand dollars, you can get a decent setup. Two thousand gets you really nice stuff. That's though. I think that's what I'm getting at. Like you can get the really nice Metcal. Like the, yeah. the brand. You're getting, Met, you're getting Metcal. You're getting, you're getting the, 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 uh, uh, the what, trinocular scope with the camera. Like, yeah. if you want the, the, the cream of the crop kind of stuff, yeah, $2,000 would do it. Um, actually, I wonder how much a decent fume extractor. Um, awesome Blossom does bring a good point with that fume extractor because I haven't really looked into that. Um, it looks like. For 100, 100 bucks, you can actually get something that's kind of what we use at work. Um, but we use like these big, like roll around units mm-hmm. um, that are like 400 to $500 at work. Um, but it looks like for like 100 bucks or under, you can get one that sits on your bench. There's like a $50 one that just sits like on your bench. And then like just that's kind of like actually what I built in my dorm room. It just draws it over a filter and it basically the smoke condenses on the filter and then that's how it collects it. Something like that would work. Um, yeah, there's not, you don't need something fancy for it. Yeah. I don't think you need like super big brand name for the fume extractor. Yeah. And just an, a, a, unless you like the colors. Yeah. Oh, like the Hako, the, yeah. the blue and yellow. The, the Hako floor mount ones are like 600, 700 bucks. Yes. But they, 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 do, they do have, admittedly, I think we have one of those at work. They, they, they are nice. They last a long time. The filters yeah. last forever. Ever. Um, yeah. And like, so well, they also do like, they have a carbon, they have a HEPA, they have all the filters in them. Whereas your benchtop one is going to just get most of the stuff. It's not going to get all of it. Whereas it's it's, it's going to take it. It's going to get rid of the particulates, but it's also going to move the smoke away from you, away from you, which is part of the what matters, right? So throw in throw in a uh, bench top fume extractor. Um, I bet you I can put together a list for a thousand dollars that includes a fume extractor. <laughs> Just for equipment, though, we're not talking about supplies. Yeah. Just equipments. Yeah. Now, I like your two grand because you can get a Metcal. You can get a really good hot air station. You can get like the badass microscope. You can get like you could a probably get an extractor. you could get an IR bed for a two thousand dollars. Yeah, you you would get an IR bed in there. Um, You'd for, be a rework master uh, yes. with with two thousand dollars. Yeah, but I think for a thousand bucks, you can easily build something that's that's. I mean, that's. Pretty much what I use is a, about a thousand dollar setup now. Um, before that, it was like four hundred. <laughs> <That. laughs> my, my my desk at work probably is fifteen hundred dollars worth of stuff. My desk at home is a hundred dollars. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's for the longest time. That's how I, I I used to roll, and then I'm like, you know, 
I need to get a good microscope now at home. Mm. And then my Xtronic died. <laughs> so start thinking about all this stuff. So next week, um, we should talk about soldering supplies or should we talk about... Um, yeah, I think we should continue with soldering and do soldering supplies because we can talk about solder and flux and like tip cleaners and that kind of stuff. Would you consider an ESD mat supplies or equipment? It's equipment because it lasts. So supplies involves um, consumables. It's a consumable where a mat technically is a consumable because you they do you do they burn do wear out. Them. Yeah, but if you take care of them, they last forever. So. It's like the difference between um, uh, never mind. That's a stupid, stupid. Uh, I, I was thinking about some kind of car analogy, and I'm like, no, that's stupid. <laughs> um, All right, yeah, let's talk about supplies next week. I think that'd be yeah. Because then, then I want to talk about is like, like lab equipment. Then like oscilloscopes, multimeters, mm. and that kind of stuff. Love it. Yeah. So. At, at, wait, at, at, after a few weeks, let's do this for a few weeks and then give ourselves budgets and build some awesome labs and give like list of. Yeah, know. I like it. Cool. So that was the MacFab Engineering Podcast. We're your host, Parker Dillman. And Stephen Craig. Later, everyone. Take it easy. And before we 100% sign off is Awesome Blossom has another good comment. We should talk about lab benches. Oh, yeah. Because uh, you got to get a welder to build mine. 